Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. Have a nice short little podcast for you guys. Going to hit some news stories up. And we got a cool story from Brian, too, that we're going to jump into right now but before we do that brian how are you doing i'm doing good man like whoa i'm on the spot all of a sudden what's going on nothing much man nothing it's my birthday tomorrow so happy uh, early birthday thank you i'm going to be 33 wow divisible by 11 that's an important one i guess yeah it's not not 35 but yeah anyway i don't know why divisible by 11 would matter but But 33 is like a big numerological uh, and symbolism it's a it's a big deal is it's, it yeah it is all right well so hopefully i win the lottery or something share <laughs> so what am i talking about yeah dude you're coming off an interesting experiment on some mushrooms that i want to know about okay we were talking a little bit about it before the show you uh you were apparently taking some and when and we say mushrooms we don't mean the medicinal uh host defense you know ohm mushrooms that's two companies uh, we're talking about <laughs> the the silly mushrooms the magic mushrooms and silly you, psybin you, yeah mushrooms. you microdosed these for a few days or something tell, I us, did, tell us what happened i did and uh actually i, I it was more than a few days it was a few weeks oh um yeah, not consecutively. I did like a week, and then I took a week off, and then another week and change. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I'd heard a lot about it helping with, and anybody who's familiar with the podcast probably knows that I've, I've dealt with addiction issues in the past. Yep. Um, and how they've been used in ceremonial and uh, different practices to help quash those type cravings. Um, in addition to helping with mood and depression and a number of other things. And I just had heard other people talk so favorably about it that I wanted to give it a shot. So I did. Nice. Yeah. And it was very interesting. Now, everyone's going to be like, oh, they're silly mushrooms. He was tripping out. He was on a magic. Not not true at first, but I was self-regulating so and self-medicating. Uh, so it wasn't like they were broken down. Um, I wasn't, I didn't have a little scale out in capsule maker and. Okay. So you, you got some mushrooms and you basically just took very small amounts. Of exactly. Them. Okay. In, in, in relationship to what I was told I should take, um, for a microdose amount from the people who, who gave it to me. Anyways, uh, it was great. In fact, the first three days and, and like, once again, I wasn't tripped out. There was a definitely a little, I was like, Hmm. You know, I had a little bit of a grin on my face, and I was like, why am I happy? Oh, I f- did I forget that I was alive in this world? No. I <laughs> <laughs> No, but so it's like, it's so sad that we have to question why we're happy. Um, but I was feeling, uh, you know, uplifted, and then I slept really well, which um, in the past when I've experimented with psilocybin, sleep was not a thing that, you know, was, was very was easy. tough to, to sleep. Come, yeah. Yeah. But in this microdosing... Um, I felt very little, and then the next day, I was so lovey-dovey, not tripped out, not any psychoactive uh, effects or anything. I didn't have any lingering, shroomy feelings, but yeah. um, I went right in, and I saw one of my coworkers, and I just hugged her, and I was like, I just wanted you to know that I love you, and she was like, what are you taking, and where do I get it? And I'm like, it's funny you should ask, but I just remember those first three days were so filled with, like, 
love and positivity and light and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. And and I didn't have any depressive feelings or thoughts or anything like that for the most part. And like anything else, towards the end of the week, it did trail off a little bit and I wasn't getting the same effect. And unfortunately, by the end of that that little bag of mushrooms, there was just like some dust and some. I was like, oh, this is just going to be my last little microdose. I had no idea. Uh, the little remnants in that bag sent me over to uh, macro dosing amount, oh, I think. Really? And it wasn't even that much. And I spent uh, a good three hours kind of like, not wanting to leave bed. <laughs> I mean, were the walls melting or I mean, what no? Was... No, no. There was some breathing effect, though. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, some breathing walls, and so, it wasn't so scary. I just wasn't. I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't thinking I was gonna have to give up that kind of control, you know, in that situation. I wasn't expecting it, and uh, it was fine. I was great at the end of the day, but uh, I was like, I'm gonna take a breather, breather from and this. And you decided not to get back into it. Yes. For about a week, and then you bought more. Yes. Okay, but what what eventually made you decide not to do it? Like what? I think it was one of those things where I wasn't progressing. I was kind of staying at the same point, and I was aware of that. Hmm. And I can see it being used intermittently. You know, if you've had a very bad day or something like that, even a trace amount. Because, like I said, in the first night, I had gotten that effect. So, you know, when I came into work that next day, that after the first time doing it, I felt very lovey-dovey and very filled with light. And so, you know, I just kind of plateaued and, and uh, I realized that, you know, I'd pretty much gotten the message and, and I always heard with psychedelics, especially, once you get the message, hang up the phone. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and, and it just, I didn't feel any need to go back to it. Um, but if I was to be dealing with, you know, depressive thoughts. I'd I'd probably give it another shot at some point. But okay, I've been good. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know they're studying mushrooms right now for alcoholism. Yes, and it's got an, a ridiculous success rate. Oh, Something I'm sure. like above eighty percent using oh, psilocybin. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it killed any cravings. Because when I get depressed or I get stressed, your mind goes to alcohol because it's an escape. Totally quashed it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But but basically these studies are showing that you just use it once or maybe not once, but like for a, you know, a period of time and then that like cures you of alcoholism really? apparently. Yeah. That's what these things are saying, but well, I think I think I might have told you too that the Swedish actually invented a pill one pill and you're cured of alcoholism forever. Wow. Unfortunately, my mind being an addict, I said, "Well, what will two do?" So. <laughs> yeah, does <laughs> two make you better? <laughs> what does or... two do? <laughs> What's in this pill? Do Can you, know? you slam it? <laughs> oh God, I've never slammed anything. By the way, right. besides Dr Pepper. Good. Do, do you know what's in the pill? Oh, I was kidding. That's a joke. It's not really. There's no alcoholism pill. Oh, the joke so is just, it's an old alcoholic totally joke. Missed that then. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. there's a pill. They said well, it cures you of alcoholism. The, but you know, what will two do? Okay. I don't hang out at the we cool like stuff alcoholic. in excess. Okay, I that's gotcha. the joke. I got gotcha. you. Okay. All right, but no, I'm good, man. Thank you, and I would definitely recommend it. Um, more so if it was medically reg regulated by a professional that knew that what they were doing rather than yeah it seems like a lot of that stuff's going on i know they're in silicon valley all kinds of people are microdosing lsd yeah um but there is that saying from jung uh, beware of unearned wisdom 
which is, you know, those things, they open up spaces in your brain Mm -hmm. that maybe you wouldn't have gotten to without doing a lot of work, but all of a sudden you get this shortcut to just having a real openness about things, and and that shortcut to wisdom can be uh, not so good. If you've taken psychedelics before, you'll realize very quickly it's no shortcut. It is hard work sometimes if you've gone down those paths, and if you're willing to take that path, which is scary and sometimes rough and psychologically Mm. out of your zone of comfort to say the very least, I think that that is in turn earning that because Mm. I have learned and and come up with some of the best ideas of my life in those states. So I I totally get what Young was saying too. I see that side of it, but I was like, oh my gosh, you come out the other end sometimes and it feels like you ran a marathon, like you climbed some crazy mountain that's trippy yes it is a workout and not something you're eager to jump back into because of that but you're like oh my gosh i accomplished this as a result yeah i get you but i i i totally see what you're saying because it does open your mind to pathways that you might not necessarily but i i i have had great experiences and terrible experiences that same way and i've learned from both Mm. we'll say that okay cool so this week, uh, a few articles I wanted to cover. There's a really cool article out of Science Daily. Uh, that's that's a website that reports on different studies. So this study was from John Hopkins researchers, and they were looking at skulls of humans and different animals and measuring what is called the golden ratio. Have you heard of this golden ratio? I've heard of it, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. So for, yeah, for those who are curious, you don't have to remember this, but the golden ratio, it's a special number found by taking a line, dividing it into two parts so that the longer part divided by the smaller part is also equal to the whole length divided by the longer part. And you don't have to remember that. That that probably sounds really confusing. You can't see, but I have a nosebleed just from hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason this, this ratio is important is it's found all over the place in nature. It makes this kind of spiral uh, that you see in like the shell of a nautilus or the spiral arms of the galaxy. The Fibonacci sequence. Similar, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of all wrapped up in that, right. that whole thing. Uh, and so throughout history, this ratio has been discovered and rediscovered multiple times by mathematicians. And it almost has this uh, mystical, speaking of mystical things, yes. <laughs> a quality to it. Because it just kind of shows this underlying order of the universe. Uh, it's just trippy to see the same ratio in those Romanesco broccolis, you know, yes. uh, as you're seeing in hurricanes. It's just kind of a bit of a trip. So these researchers, they looked at around 100 different human skulls and 70 different animal skulls. Uh, the animal skulls came from six different species, namely dogs, two kinds of monkeys, rabbits, lions, and tigers. Mm. Oh, my. Oh, my, indeed. So what they found was that all of these skulls had different ratios. And so, you know, they're looking at, like, the distance of the eyes and, and the cheekbones and the mouth and stuff, and they're, they're looking at the ratios of those. And so all the skulls had different ratios, but the human skull had the closest ratio to the golden ratio. So here, here's the quote from the actual article. Uh, the other mammals we surveyed actually have unique ratios that approach the golden ratio with increased species sophistication, says Raphael Tamargo, MD, professor of neurosurgery at the John Hopkins University School of Medicine. We believe that this finding may have important anthropological and evolutionary implications. Hmm. So basically, the more sophisticated the species, the closer the ratios within the skull were to the golden ratio. That's interesting. Yeah, and, I, and I'm guessing by sophistication, they're talking about intelligence and complexity. So uh, monkey would kind of be at the top of the list with rabbit at the bottom. 
this is just my guess. I wonder what an aquatic animal like a porpoise might have. Yeah, like a dolphin. Because well, they're smart, but their yeah. faces are elongated, so I don't know if it falls into that ratio. But you're looking at ratios, so it might be that parts are elongated, but the other parts are elongated too, and so it's the same, same True ratio. True that. Um, and I, I think these kind of articles make you think a little bit. You know, is there con- this connection between mathematics and species sophistication? So, like, when I graduated ASU, I, I had a minor in anthropology, and there's this tendency in anthropology and science as a whole towards this kind of postmodern, everything is equal but different kind of thinking. Right. Kind of like, you know, the human and rabbit, they're not better or worse than each other. They're equal, but, you know, the rabbit eats grass and, and we listen to Mozart. Right. You know, but yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I always felt put off by this like there was something there's something missing there of the majesty of life and this kind of study gives us a hint that maybe humans are special maybe in some deep mathematical way yeah which i thought was neat i like that too but i also think that the golden ratio and and the fibonacci sequence could literally be um mathematical proof of the divine you know of some totally uh creative force behind everything rather than this uh, randomized thinking that we've got now, this chaos thought that everything just kind yes. of exploded into existence randomly. When you find these sequences in all walks, of not only all life, but like you said, in the spiral galaxies, in cloud formations, in the earth, in all these different places, and in your fingerprint, and in your iris, and all of these things, mm. it's kind of hard not to look at these things as being all part of one grand scheme or one whole intelligent it's like a, design. It's like a clue that there's a deeper order. Totally. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's irrefutably mathematical truth that we all hold this. You know, it's crazy when, and the fact that people don't know that a seashell and your finger have the same uh, commonality as far as mathematics and the design of mm-hmm. it. It, it, we should be teaching all kids about this stuff. Yeah, it makes you, it's so interesting. Totally. Way more interesting than it's all random and it all just came into existence from random chance, which is a frog to a monkey. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, that was cool. Uh, there's another study that I thought was neat. This one came out of Columbia University, uh, the Mailman School of Public Health, which I don't, I don't know why it's the Mailman School of Public Health. I don't you know would... that I would enroll in the Mailman School of Public Health. <laughs> well, that's what it's called. Okay. It's Columbia, so all right. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it must be good. Yeah. But I'm not a fan of NSAIDs, which are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. You've, yeah. You know what oh, these yeah, are, yeah. right? Yeah, ibuprofen, mm-hmm. Tylenol, aspirin. NSAIDs actually kill a lot more people than most people realize. Something like 100,000 people are hospitalized each year from their use, and 15,000 people die, usually from complications of bleeding in the GI system, uh, but also kidney damage and other issues, a year from these things. Is it it from using them for a year? Yeah. No, no, no. From, like, attributed to them as something not oh, using that, them okay this is many people die yeah i mean some people like, like overdose you use on one them. year and then this thing's like, okay no, no yeah. so are these people that are using this stuff all day every day or are they just using it intermittently they didn't specify how they were using i mean these are statistics that you can look up on death like death statistics and it's just cause of death right gi bleeding comp you know from a complication from too much ibuprofen or whatever. Okay. So you don't know. Right. And some of it's overdose. I mean, I know people try and overdose and kill themselves on on these things. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 
what was what's interesting is before this opiate crisis really got into gear with like fentanyl and, and the really bad stuff, uh, the amount of deaths from NSAIDs rivaled those of opiates. Which really? Is pretty people just don't know this. They wow. don't know how dangerous NSAIDs are to take, and you really don't want to take them long term because yeah. they'll they'll mess you up. With all that said, aspirin is probably the best one out there of all the NSAIDs. Which makes sense. Totally. Right? It's been around so long. Yeah. And the active inv- ingredient in aspirin is from white willow bark, which is an herbal remedy that's been used for pain for centuries and centuries and centuries. I always say this. Aspirin's the tried and true. Yeah. I think we've actually talked about this. If you've listened to the show before, I think we've actually talked about this. Um, the longer something has been used by humanity in general, the safer it is. And the more well-known its drawbacks are. Okay. So that makes sense. I, I mean, that it just applies to aspirin way more than it applies to some of the other NSAIDs. Right. So this recent study, they looked at aspirin and pollution. Uh, they took a subset of data from male veterans living in the Boston area who were given tests to determine their lung function. The average age of the participants was 73 years old. Hmm. Uh, the researchers examined the relationship between lung test results, self-reported NSAID use. So this isn't a double blind or anything like that. Right. Uh, and ambient particulate. Frank, how many did you have, Frank? <laughs> Frank. That's right. Two. I, I took two. <laughs> why, why is half the bottle gone, Frank? <laughs> Franklin Myers. The study. Uh... Might have took three. <laughs> 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 so anyway, the self-reported NSAID use and then ambient particle matter and black carbon uh, in the month preceding the test. So they they wanted to see if there was a connection between lung lung you know test right. testing and your NSAID use and then pollution. Okay. So they also accounted for a variety of factors, including health status of the subject, whether or not they were smoker or not. And they found that the use of any NSAID nearly halved the effect of any particulate matter on lung function. And since most of the participants were using aspirin, the researchers attributed the effect mostly to aspirin, although they said that some of the other NSAIDs possibly deserved looking into. Mm. So basically, I'm guessing most of these older guys were using a daily baby aspirin or something like that. Okay. And they did way better on their pollution exposure compared to those who didn't use the, mm. the baby aspirin. Interesting. And the reason I think this study is, is important is because there is this tendency in the natural world to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Mm. Uh, and it really lowers the believability and respectability of the industry and of, of natural treatments in general. So like if I'm talking to a naturopath or someone who is experienced in some natural treatment and they tell me that like all NSAIDs are bad... I just don't believe them as much. I think I think they're probably more concerned with like a faith in their belief structure than they are with what actually works. Right. I'm I'm looking for that nuance that kind of comes from focusing on what pragmatically works, not what is consistent with what they believe. Okay. Does that makes sense. Total sense. So yeah, NSAIDs, you know, they cause all these problems and they get lumped together and they get all tossed out. But aspirin in particular, especially because of its long history of use and the fact that it's a derivative of an old herbal treatment has some really great things about it. I mean, we could probably do, I don't know, a whole episode on why aspirin's so great and Tylenol's so terrible. Yeah. You know? I love the baby aspirin. Yeah. But most people in the natural world would probably toss both out. I mean, do you do you think that's accurate from your experience? Um, I think that it is the last one to get tossed out, but it will get t- tossed out okay. eventually. Okay, interesting. But I mean, like, I, I think that if they 
put aspirin and a few of the other leading NSAID, what NSAID? NSAIDs. It's like NSAID. N and then the word said. Yeah. Yeah. NSAIDs uh, out there that that would be the last man standing, as mm. it were, I think. Just because it's been around so long. It's, it's, yeah. And it has so many different properties that are great. Okay. The last article I want to cover real quick is on Alzheimer's and... This is from earlier this year, and it's about an LSU doctor who had some success with Alzheimer's patients and hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Now, I believe this was a case study on a woman who had Alzheimer's for five years, and it was progressing as it usually does, meaning towards less and less mental function Mm. over time. Uh, This doctor, Paul Harsh, decided, that's H-A-R-C-H, I guess that's Harsh, uh, decided to give hyperbaric oxygen therapy. He gave it a shot. And that's when you get into this big machine that basically forces oxygen into your tissues. Yeah. And so after 66 days of hyperbaric oxygen therapy, this woman, her memory and concentration improved, as did her ability to do crossword puzzles and use the computer. The cool thing, though, was that her brain actually looked better on a PET scan. So you could see her brain reverse some of the degradation from Alzheimer's. Wow. And that's a big deal in the medical industry because treatments for Alzheimer's are kind of crap actually they to date they haven't found much that helps and this is the best improvement in brain metabolism of any allopathic alzheimer's treatment on the market yeah. right now wow you yeah. never hear of reversal you hear of maybe stopping or slowing but reversal that's pretty impressive yeah and it seems to be a nice candidate for long-term therapy of alzheimer's according to the report uh, the woman had reoccurring and regular treatments, and the progression of the disease seems to have stopped for now. She's sleeping better, has more of an appetite, uh, has better concentration and memory, and she is one of 11 people who have had this treatment with positive results. Wow. So I think in the future, this is going to become more popular for people who can gain access to it and afford it, at it, least. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Now, if we step outside the allopathic realm and into natural therapies, one of the coolest books I read, this was a while ago, was about coconut oil uh, and Alzheimer's. It's by Mary Newport. The book is called Alzheimer's Disease, What If There Was a Cure? The Story of Ketones. Have you heard of this book? No, I have not. Okay. It's about a woman whose husband gets Alzheimer's, and it's pretty bad. It's like, you know, not being able to put your pants on Alzheimer's. Oh. So she apparently brings him back quite a bit with high doses of coconut oil. And the whole theory behind it is that, uh, I think I'm remembering this correctly, is that ketones from coconut oil, they're an alternate source of fuel for the brain. And because of the ability of the brain to break down glucose in Alzheimer's is damaged by taking these coconut oil ketones, you get a separate fuel source. I believe that's the theory. Wow. Uh, If you're interested, I'll link to the book in the show notes. And there's other natural therapies as well. uh, But the hyperbaric oxygen therapy is a cool one that hopefully doctors can now start providing. I'd like to give it a shot. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all I got for news articles. Those three were pretty neat. Yeah, they're very diverse, too. Learned a little bit about a lot of stuff. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I uh, I think that's good for this week. We'll keep it a short one. And, yes. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Going to do systemic enzymes next week. I started doing some of the research, so we should dump, jump into those. Good, because I want to start taking them. Well, you can, you can. You can start taking them yeah, now. Yeah, but then next week you're going to be like, and this is the bad side. <laughs> and you're going to be like, oh, I just took all these. Uh, maybe I should have taken <laughs> Hope the Hope you don't one. like your feet. That's what? Right. <laughs> What's going to happen to my feet? Yeah, but but if you want to, take some and then, you know, give I'll us start some. this week and we'll, we'll compare notes. Yeah, all right. Sounds good. All right. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, everybody. Bye. You up. Well.